Welcome to the Rent to Retirement Podcast, your resource for passive real estate investing and retirement strategies. If you're new to real estate or planning your financial future, you're in the right place. Join us at renttoretirement.com to find your path to financial freedom and an easy, carefree retirement. Enjoy the show. Hey, Renter Retires, it's Adam Schrader here along with Zach Lemaster for another episode. And we are joined today by Brian O'Neill. He is with the uh, Wicked Smart group with uh, Chris Prefontaine. We've had a couple episodes with them and had some really good feedback from everybody. And so we wanted to bring on, if you listened to the last episode, you're going to know who this guy is. If you didn't listen to the last episode, go back and listen to it first. Uh, This is the guy that Chris talked about who went from real uh, from elevator salesman to real estate success story you know now coaching with him and doing some really great things uh brian thank you so much for joining us today guys thanks for having me i'm really looking forward to uh to chat with you today absolutely well uh let's go back and start from the beginning so how did you get started in real estate kind of what is your origin story when it comes to um, just getting started in the real estate specter in general. Yeah. So like a lot of people, Adam, I wanted to be in real estate for a long time. I actually, I tell, I tell the group this story all the time. I named my LLC seven years before I actually had, uh, had the, um, you know what to start it, right. To open it up. And that was sitting in my iPhone. I still saved the note. You know, I named I named the uh, I named the business and never did anything with it. I was stuck in corporate for pretty much my whole life. You know, I was fed the same story that a lot of us were fed, which was you know, go to school, get a good job, uh, pour as much money into your retirement account as possible, look for a company with a great management training program, and you know, work there until you retire, climb the corporate ladder. That's That was my download. Nothing wrong with my parents, but that's what I was fed and I believed it. And that's what I was supposed to do. And as I, as I started to uh, get to a higher level, you know, one thing about sales is you always plateau. Like there's only so much money you can earn unless you have, unless you trade your time for dollars. And as I got to that point in my life, I really started to look at, you know, this is not going to be me long term. I, I don't want to be that guy. And that coupled with the fact that I had a young son, you know, he's 11 now, but, you know, back when I, when I was really evaluating this, he was, he was small, four or five years old. And I was traveling 100,000 miles a year. I was gone all the time selling elevators, North America, Europe. I was all over the place. And, you know, as he, as he got older, he started to voice his opinion as to me being gone. Like, hey, dad, I don't like when you leave. I'm scared to be in the house with mom by myself. So I was already I was already upset about not chasing my dreams. And then I got my kid, my five-year-old kid telling me this. So that ate away at me. And that's what ultimately pushed me over the edge to do something different. And the biggest block for me was... I didn't have somebody in my corner. You know, I don't know what it is about growing up. We have coaches and mentors. If we're in sports, if we go to church, we're in school. We have people helping us all along the way. When I got through school, I was like, no, nah, I'm good. I got it all figured out. I don't need anybody's help anymore. That's why I was stuck in corporate for 25 years. Once I hired a coach, Chris, that's when my life started to change and change very, very quickly. So I wish I would have done it sooner. So let's get to it. What was the name of the LLC? 
Yeah, the name of the LLC was uh, BKW Investment Group, and that's uh, initials for for my family. And it, it's been sitting in my phone for well, it's been ten years now. But I started it seven years ago before I actually filed it. And now you're using it, right? That is your that is your LLC. That's okay. it. I'm using it now. Yep. Brian, I, I love this story because um, I think this will resonate with with so many of our our community and listeners just that want to get out of the job that they're they're doing. Um, and it's not always because I mean this is a lifestyle choice, really, as you mentioned, to choose to be home with with your family more. There's a lot of different reasons. There's people that really dislike what they do, um, but that's probably actually a small portion of of the people that really want to chase a full time dream in, in real estate. There's people that earn high income and, you know, are, are professionals and myself included with an optometry background. Um, I often people come up to me and say, Oh, well you, you left that career cause it wasn't right for you or you didn't like it. Well, that's not the case. You know, it's, it's more of a lifestyle choice. Um, and, and to your point about trading time for money, being able to expedite and exponentially increase your, your income and business efforts through something like real estate where it's not time associated and you can be more creative to, to make those exponential um, gains and set your family up for generational wealth and success. Um, and that's really what it's about. I think the, the why behind it, it's really cool to talk to someone that's taken that leap. Um, let's dive into that a little bit deeper about specifically, I mean, what's, what's the timeline associated with it with, uh, you know, okay, you, you found Chris and went through his coaching program and really surrounded yourself with this community, as, as you mentioned. And that is huge. I, I love the point about coaching because um, that's something that, I mean, can take you, your, your level of business and understanding to the next level is just surrounding yourself with the right people and having the right people in your corner. Um, but what's the timeline before like, okay, you started the coaching program and then you started doing deals. And then when were you able to transition out of the, the sales aspect? Yeah. So this was, um, December of 19. So the end of the end of 2019, right before COVID hit, right. Nobody knew this is, nobody knew this was coming. So I had, and, and, and just to back up a minute, what I, I had been trying to do real estate deals for a couple of years, I was trying to buy multifamily and I was, you know, acting like a real estate investor, downloading all the podcasts and reading all the books. I even looked at a few deals. My biggest fears were revolved around investing my own money, which is a huge block for a lot of people in real estate, investing your own money, the fear of losing money. And then even further going and asking my friends and family, hey, invest, invest alongside, alongside of me. So letting other people down. And that's what ultimately was keeping me blocked. I didn't know what I was doing. So it was right around that time that I found Chris talking about how he bought his building on a podcast, how he bought his building on owner financing. And I said, boom, that's exactly what I need to learn more about. I ran straight to it. Okay. So podcasts are great. So it was meant to be, I found them and we, I, I, I came into the program. I came into the, to the wicked smart community in 2019. I made my first dial on de December 16th. I think it was, I wrote it down. It was a great day. And I got my first house under agreement. Uh, it was 72, 71 days later. It was a great, it was, I've been in sales for 25 years. I screamed. And my wife was like, well, what, what, what's going on? I said, the, the seller signed the contract, right? Because I had been really hammering it out. I'd been on the phone and I was working at the same time too. I was still flying. So I was doing this in hotel rooms and you know airport lounges just whenever I could because I wanted to be out of that life bad enough. And that's, that's really a, a big motivator for a lot of people is you, know, you have to have a reason why you want to do this. Again, I already mentioned it was my family, my son. 
And I was willing to do, I was willing to do what it took. And I, and I took the advice, the coaching advice. So 71 days, I actually lost that deal. I had to give it back to the seller. A few weeks later, I got my first house under agreement and sold it, put a buyer in it. So I was able to collect the three paydays. And then I really started getting some momentum houses under agreement. I had set a goal to leave my job in 24 months, which is really just a placeholder. I ended up doing it in nine. No, I love that. So first deal, 70 days, roughly, even though that one fell through, we got it under contract, which is a huge win. Shortly thereafter, had the first deal that, that then you were able to complete with the end transaction with, with the buyer. Mm-hmm. Um, and then within a shorter I mean, period of, of time, then, then your goal actually leave your, your corporate position. And just for anyone that's listening to this for the first time and un, unfamiliar with Chris uh, Prefontaine or the Wicked Smart community, um, we interviewed Chris um, uh, just a few months ago on, on our podcast. And then immediately our community reached out and said, Hey, we want to learn more about this. This is a topic that we want to hear more about. It's, it's very relevant, especially right, right now. And just an awesome creative way to um, scale your portfolio, portfolio much quicker. Basically what the program is about is around creative, creative financing to acquire deals, not buying more deals using strategies that we'll talk about like seller finance, subject to lease option, ways that you can acquire more real estate without actually having to sign on loans, not involving banks and not involving any of your capital or very little capital out of pocket. So it's a creative way where you really don't have a ceiling, right? There's no ceiling. It's, it's limited by your creativity. You got to grind it out and you got to learn it uh, and apply those methods and surround yourself with the right people. But it's, it's ultimately a way where you're not having to save up another down payment and you can be an active investor just like you did, Brian, to replace your active income um, rather quickly. So I, I love the story. I think this will uh, really hit home to a lot of people that want to replace their income, be a more active investor um, earlier on. Yeah, great point. I want to go over the the 71 days you were talking about. Can you tell us a little bit about what you're doing? Because you said, you know, you had your um, full-time gig, you were doing this. Were you putting in like an extra eight hours a day? Were you just doing, you know, like an hour here, an hour there. Talk to us a little bit about those first 71. Absolutely. So number one, I was, you know, Chris's partner is Zach, a younger guy, uh, but but he was my first coach. And he told me, and I could probably be his dad. I think there was an age gap there. So it took me it took me a, a mindset shift to be like, hey, listen, you need to surrender to this, okay? What you were doing before didn't work for you, Brian. You're in this corporate job. You want out. Listen to the people. So if you hire a coach, make sure that you listen, right? Don't, uh, don't come in knowing everything. I completely surrendered. I think that's one of the reasons I was successful in a short amount of time. Then what they taught me was, hey, look, 24 hours is 24 hours. You don't, you don't get to create extra time here. You just have to choose your time wisely. So instead of watching uh, you know, Netflix in the hotel room, I called sellers. Instead of watching uh, a movie or reading a book in the airport lounge, I called sellers. I just, I just made different choices. And that's powerful. When you decide you can, you can change your life and you can really move the needle forward. So I called sellers when I could. Uh, I was probably dedicating anywhere from 10 to 12 hours per week to the business, which was enough for me. Uh, and then when, when COVID hit, uh, I had more time because I was home all the time and I wasn't flying. So I would just, whenever I had an opportunity here or there, I would make the dials. And then as the business ramped up, 
Oh, I was the first 71 days. That uh, was really just me calling as many people as I could and getting super good on the phone, which is really the skill that you need to develop to be able to do these deals on a creative, uh, you know, creatively. Well, I want to talk and we want to go through your whole story here. We want to talk about the other deals you've done, your portfolio, fast forward to where you're at today and, and what, um, you, you know, your, your financial picture looks like compared to, you know, maybe the corporate space and, and where you're going to be in the future compared to that as, as well. I'm, I'm sure you think about that quite often. If you just continue that path, um, you know, without any intervention, um, you know, where, where you might be. Um, but I, I want to talk about just like the, the way that you're acquiring deals. When we talk about real estate investing, it is this broad spectrum of so many different ways you can participate in real estate. But for someone that's just like, Hey, Brian, what, what are you doing? Like, how are you acquiring deals? Can, can you explain it for just layman terms, like your method in building your portfolio? Certainly. So very high level when we're talking about creative financing, we're talking about using the seller to buy the property. That's probably the easiest way I can explain it without going out and either raising money or using a bank, a bank loan to acquire a property, whether it's single family or multifamily, you use the seller as the bank, whether they have a mortgage or not. So I'll just give two quick examples. If a seller ha ha owns a house free and clear, no debt, which is a, roughly about a third, probably higher of all homes in the United States are owned with no debt. I can go to a seller. I can go to you and say, you know, hey, hey Zach, you be the bank for me. Okay. I can, I can pay you your price, maybe even a premium over and above if you give me the term that I want. And we structure something on seller financing where we agree upon a price, a monthly payment to you, and then a term before you would get the rest of your equity. And that can be three years, that can be 30. It just depends on what we agree to. And if you can structure that type of a, of a, of a situation with a seller and solve their problem because they have to have some type of problem or be in a position where they don't need their money right now, they have to wait for their money. Those can be really lucrative. I mean, owner financing deals can be six figures and beyond if you structure them the right way. With someone who has a mortgage in place, again, they have debt. You can use that to your advantage on seller. You can still do seller financing. We would just call it subject to. So I would buy somebody's house subject to their existing loan. If they had a $200,000 loan, that loan stays in place. I pay it every month. The deed transfers over to me. They're out. They're completely out of it. I own the house. We make the payments. If anything goes wrong with the house, we cover it. The seller can move on and, and be done with the property, which is, which is a really a lot of what we're doing when we're buying creatively as we're solving a, a problem that a seller has, whether they can't afford the house, they couldn't sell it, they couldn't get the price that they wanted, or they have to leave and they just need to be done with the property. So those are two kind of high level methods of how we, of how we purchase. This is a hard concept for a lot of people to grasp, especially if they're just hearing this for the first time or trying to figure out like, well, you know, why would, because they're so aligned with the traditional way of the real estate works, right? With yeah. agents, brokers and, and banks. And it's like, you know, it's, it really comes down to education um, mm -hmm. and, and learning these, these uh, different strategies. But I mean, this is a hard concept for a lot of people to grasp. Like, why would it, why would a seller, you know, do this? And I think you just answered that, that question. Um, I'm, I'm thinking about this kind of real time where we're at right now. We've had this crazy hot market and people we've had these you know sellers that basically have been able to demand their their price point and now the market is shifting and normalizing really in a lot of cases and so you, you have a lot of people where 
Um, you know, they still have this stuck in their mind that they want this price, but it, the market doesn't dictate that now. So instead of lowering their price, they have these expired listings. And I mean, that's one way to get sellers uh, potentially. Also, on someone that has an existing mortgage with where interest rates are right now, it could be a really you know, advantageous thing to get a, to take over a mortgage with a lower interest rate. You know what I mean? So, I mean, but my question would be to you, Brian, like, give us a little bit more insight on like maybe some real world scenarios or like people that you're talking to, where, where are these leads coming from to, to sell these properties via financing terms this way? And kind of like, why are they doing it? I mean, is it for someone that has a free and clear property, is it a tax thing? They don't want to, you know, is this a retirement picture? I mean, I'm sure it's, all the above, but what, what are you seeing on a regular basis? Sure. And it is all the above. So primarily I'm looking for people who are actively trying to sell their property because that causes pain if they don't sell. So an expired listing for sale by owner, even for rent by owners, people who are trying to rent their houses may, may have already tried to sell it, but couldn't. So they just default to rent because that's all, that's all people know. People know, put a sign in your yard, sell it. If it doesn't work out, keep lowering the price until somebody raises their hand and says, hey, I'll buy it at that number. There's other ways to do this. And what we try to do is educate sellers like, hey, you have another option available to you. And it's 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 seller financing, it's terms. And you said something that was interesting was, you know, why would somebody want to do this? And I say the opposite. There's more reasons why they would do it versus why they wouldn't. Okay, because in any market, even when the market was scorching hot, there's always, and you know this to be true in, in, in your business, there's always going to be a situation where you have death, divorce, job loss, job relocation, stuff that the traditional market cannot necessarily necessarily solve. And that's where we can come in by having this skill to be able to purchase on creative financing and solve the seller's problem and get them for, out from under the house. But primarily, we're looking for people who are actively trying to sell. And then there's other things you can do, like pull lists. There's a COVID cause a lot of tired landlords, accidental landlords and tired landlords that want out. I can't tell you how many times I talked to a seller who says, I just want to be out of the landlord business. When I hear that, I focus on that problem. I don't focus on the price that they want or the monthly payment. It's just like, look, I can get you out of the landlord business permanently if you're willing to sell your property on seller financing and leave your loan in place. And solving problems is, is really what it's about, right? It's, it's not always problems. It's just educating the, the seller on what their options are. I love that you brought that up because mm -hmm. many sellers haven't even potentially considered this. And what I love about creative financing and acquiring deals this way is, at least in my opinion, it is the most um, beneficial way for sellers to to sell their property and beneficial, it's a, it's a win 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 scenario, um, and probably the most um, beneficial for all parties involved out of all types of real estate transactions. A lot of times you're in right in a traditional sale, you're in negotiations with people on price. You're you know someone's having to lower the price that they want. They're not you know or make additional repairs, um, and they they have to sacrifice somewhere. In this type of scenario, you're really assisting the the seller. It's, it's you know to meet their needs, right? You're you're solving their their issue if there is one, and you're you're meeting their needs and educating them on on the options. Would you agree with that, Brian? Or yeah, absolutely. And I'll just give you a couple of quick examples of sellers that I've helped, and it's all they've all have they all have a story, right? And they they couldn't sell the house. They've bought another property. The first house I ever that that I ever purchased, the woman bought a another a condo. She was going there, like she already purchased it. Didn't need the money from the proceeds of of this house to buy the other place. She was good with her loan. She just couldn't get to sell the house. 
So I called her up and said, Hey, you know, here's this other alternative for you. She's like, I'm, I'm good with that. I can do that. And I mean, that happened in about two weeks, right? Because she had a specific scenario and I could solve that problem with terms. I gave her $10. I got control of the house. And I've done that multiple times. Other sellers will have a situation where they're getting, you know, divorced. And like, this is the only thing that's holding them back from, you know, being done with each other is the property, but they couldn't sell it. Right. And I just want, I've, I've, I've had conversations with sellers where, where they just said, I just want to be done with this. And in those scenarios, terms, creative financing is such a great option. And, you know, we obviously do this to make money, right? But to be able to hear, hey, like you really got me out of, of a, out of a jam, Brian. You really helped me. It's that just makes it much more, much more gratifying because it's it's a personal relationship with the seller uh, because you really are helping them move to the next stage of their life. Let's talk about that conversation. What you were saying, you know, maybe the divorce or job movement. How do you structure your conversation whenever you go into this to figure out? which one of the three is going to work best? Like what are some of the big things that people need to be considering asking if they're having these conversations? Yeah, this is, a, I, I love this question. And I've spent a lot of time on my phone skills because I, I, we, I talk to a lot of sellers, my team, we're talking to sellers all day long. Right. And ultimately what we're trying to discover Zach is when we're, and the, and, and the idea here is we're really, we're really eliminating, Right because we're not looking for the retail seller. They're going to do their thing and sell and sell for top price and, and use a realtor. We're looking for like a couple of uh, keywords like, um, well, I, I, I have to move. I'm relocating and, I, and, I, I, and I'm already there or the house is vacant or I'm, I'm tired of being a landlord. I don't want to deal with the property anymore. I'm old. So we're, we're listening for things and we do that by asking questions. So I can give you kind of a quick script of what we do. Uh, when we talk to sellers and, and it's really just a conversation, like treat it like, what would you do if your neighbor put a for sale sign in the yard? You know, what, what would you do? You'd go over and talk to them and just have a friendly conversation. Like, Hey, well, wh wh why are you selling the house? Where are you going? When do you need to be there? You know, now we add more to it. Like, Hey, if you did sell it, what was the price you were hoping to get? I don't look at the listing and say, I see you're asking 500. I ask them what they want. And then I'll say, why do you think it didn't sell? So if you can find out why somebody's selling and dig deeper, they'll tell you what their motivation is or they won't. If they tell you, then that's when you can say, hey, look, if I could help you solve that problem, move closer to your family and you don't have to worry about this house anymore, I'll take over all your payments. Are you open to the idea of selling on either a lease purchase or owner financing? That's how the conversation goes. Not, not, hey, I'm going to buy your house on the first phone call. It's we have to uncover if there's if there's a problem that we can solve first. Adams, um, he, a skeptic by nature, and so he always gets into the the what if scenarios. Um, and this is, I think, something that is is also hard to kind of wreck your head around. Is okay, like how does this actually work? And we got we have a couple different scenarios. So you outlined, you know, someone has a fr free and clear property. Basically, they can be the bank, right? You just structure terms, whatever makes sense for them. Usually, it's advantageous for you to have low down payment or no down payment, $10, I guess, in one case. Um, and then ideally, I mean, potential interest only, or not interest only, but principal only payments, right? For uh, Or very low interest. I mean, that's that's realistic. And it's an advantage to the seller because they're basically getting you know, guaranteed payments um, for, for an extended amount of time. 
um, and they're getting the price that they want. So, but I mean, what, what are some what ifs that you, you commonly hear about with people that are learning about this process? I mean, some that come to my mind would be like, from a seller perspective, like what, okay, what if this person stops paying me? You're on the deed. You're actually the owner of the property. I mean, how do you, how do you solve the what if there? And also, I guess another one is around the, the banks taking over the mortgage, but, but more importantly, first with the seller, like, how do I trust this guy? You know what I mean? To take care of this property and pay me. Yeah, you're talking to people and for most of them, this is their number one asset is their house, right? So it's not a decision that's going to, they're going to make overnight or even on the spot unless they're really, really in pain. I've had that happen one time, uh, but it, 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 it's really, you're taking them through the steps, right? Again, first call is discovery. You're educating them and then you're just, you're, you're building rapport along the way and building rapport by not by being there and educating them and being an authority and, and being able to respond to their objections. Like you said, Hey, what if you stop paying me? And you know, that's a question I get asked all the time. Like what if, and I always tell sellers, I said, look, it's never my intention to not fulfill my obligation to you. Okay. This is how I make, this is how we make a living. We're going to make your mortgage payments. I buy, we buy tons of properties. I said, but look, ultimately, if this is something that's going to keep you up at night, don't do it. I tell every seller that, and I want them to understand that I'm okay with that. I don't want them worrying about it. But the objection is I always answer it like, hey, this is my intention. This is what I intend to do. You and I are going to meet on multiple occasions. I'm going to come to your house. I'm going to look at your property. We're going to have multiple phone calls. I'll make you feel as comfortable as possible. But at the end of the day, you have to be, you have to be okay with it. Yeah. So you mentioned that. So when it talks to, when you're talking to these people, how much of it is on the phone, how much of it is face to face and what is kind of the the breakdown? How many conversations are you generally having before um, they're comfortable with you? Like what, what does that part look like? Yeah. So the, the, there's normally probably a seller that is going to do this. There's probably four or five phone conversations and at least one meeting in person. Cause I got to go see the house and I throw it back to the seller too. And I say, look, I wouldn't, cause I get a lot of sellers that we talk to like make an offer, make an offer. You know, that's just like their text message back. And I would say I would never make an offer on a house that I didn't see. And further, I would want to, I would want to know you. Right. So I, I always say that to the seller, like, look, we're going to meet in person. We have to feel comfortable with each other. I, me have to feel comfortable with you and vice versa. So it's typically like four to five touches. Uh, and, the, and then normally they feel comfortable. Let's, um, and I want to get deeper into your story and talk about specific deals, um, Brian, but just mm-hmm. for someone that's still trying to kind of figure this out, um, just to as cleanly as possible to kind of talk about the strategies here. We have subject two is, is one, right? This mm-hmm. is where you're um, taking over someone's existing mortgage. Like you're buying the property, you're actually taking title to it, subject to the existing mortgage. Um, and that's someone, I, I think probably those scenarios would be someone that is in potential more like more pain, potentially like pre foreclosure. Um, what, what other kind of buyer profile or seller profiles fit the kind of the subject to scenario? And what are you looking for in the house? Do they need to have equity? Does it need to cash flow based on the? the rents, um, you know, talk about a subject to deal, how it's structured and and when that applies. Yeah. Uh, I'll give you a couple examples because, and I normally just kind of let the deal come to me based on what I'm here, what I'm hearing on the phone. But 
standard subject to, and, and again, it, we are buying it subject to your existing loan. You can buy anything subject to boats, cars, whatever. As long as the seller is open to it, you can buy subject to your existing debt. If the seller has low equity, you know, maybe, maybe the house is worth 200, maybe they owe 200,000 and the house is worth 210. Like they're writing a check if they're using a realtor, they, they got to pay to get out of the house, mm-hmm. which is just crazy. You don't have to do that. And I can buy the house for 200,000 exactly on the money. The loan stays in place. I'll pay their closing costs. So it's, they don't have to, they don't have to spend a dime versus if they sold it with a realtor, they were writing a check uh, to get out of the house. They can go move on. So that's one scenario that's very common, low equity, tight equity, and you that uh, a lot of different scenarios can occur there. People who bought their house just a couple of years ago, right, and haven't put a low down payment down, or they bought the house incorrectly. There's so many different different uh, situations that would arise there. And as long as the monthly payment, like if the, let's say the monthly payment's fifteen hundred all in, and I can and I can rent that or put a buyer in there for you know seventeen eighteen hundred dollars, it makes sense for me. You know, you're paying closing costs and. Uh, you know, cash flowing or right off the bat, that's a that's a great oper- that's a great deal for us. And then again, the seller's happy because they get to move on. Their other alternative was they were going to have to give the house back or write a check at the closing table. I love that. And what about um, seller finance? This is someone probably where they they don't have a loan in place, right? They and and why would someone uh, do this this route? And how's it structured? Yeah, so I'm thinking of two quick categories. Number one, you have an inherited property. Okay, so the kids inherited uh, mom and dad's property and they don't know what to do with it. And maybe those are a little bit more challenging because you normally have two or three or sometimes four people to, to, to work that out, but they don't know what to do with the house and they just want to be done with it. So they're open to a seller financing type of structure. Uh, people who are free and clear on their house for tax purposes and disclaimer, I'm not giving tax advice, but for tax purposes and estate planning purposes, they see the benefit, they get it, right? They see the benefit of taking payments over a long period of time versus the lump sum. We're working on a deal right now in another state with one of our students. I've, I've had multiple conversations with the seller. They can't sell the house. They live in another state. They were renting it. They couldn't get their number. They're open to doing something on owner financing. We're going to pay them a little bit of interest, reasonable interest, because they were going to, they said, hey, look, we'll just lower the, this is a great example. We'll, we're going to lower the price, take our lump sum and invest it and get this return, this percentage return. And I told the student, I said, well, we can do that. Get them back on the phone. And I said, look, you don't need to do that. I can pay you your return. It's backed by real estate. The deed will transfer to us. And I, and I simply asked the guy, I said, look, if we could do that and get to your price, how long would you be willing to go? And they were talking on the phone and the, the two of them, they said, oh, probably 10 or 15 years. They wrote the deal for me right there. So 15 year owner financing, we're going to get them to their number and we're just going to make monthly payments to them with interest, but no money down. I mean, it's a super, super deal, but they get it. They understand they're going to get way more money for their house by by collecting interest and backed by real estate. And when you say backed by real estate, so they're still, I mean, they are the bank, right? They have a lien on the property? For first first mortgage, yeah, first lien first position. position. We we take the deed. So I mean, again, they ask the same question. Hey, what if you default? Like, you're the bank. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah, that, that's beautiful. And I, I love that you went through that scenario of how to just 
you know, it's just structuring it so it makes it makes sense for them. And seller financing for for more savvy investors, this this is fairly common uh, in businesses, in multifamily, commercial. Um, usually, those owners understand a little bit more. It's just maybe the monpa owners on the single family side that you got to educate about this. But seller financing happens quite often um, and can be you know a big advantage, like you said, for not having agents and brokers involved in fees and bank fees and lender fees. I mean it adds up <laughs> extremely quickly. Totally. What about, so, and then the other one that maybe isn't as, as um, commonly used would be uh, the, the lease option or is there another option? Is, is that right? Yeah. Lease option, lease purchase, which is control of the property without actually owning it. A couple of advantages there. The deed stays with the seller. So that's an advantage for the seller. They get all the benefits of ownership without having to deal with the property. We still cover expenses and repairs and everything else. We, we just don't own the house. So it's not, we don't get that depreciation benefit. Um, but then we're not typically putting any money down. So, you know, the first, the first uh, eight, nine, 10 houses I did, I gave the seller a total of $20. And I have control of $4 million with the real estate for $20. And that was I mean, lease, lease option? Those are all that? lease options, right? Yeah, that math works. And so in that scenario, you're, you're, you have a lease to, um, and then is it an option to buy? Can you go through the details of how that works a little bit more specifically? Yeah, it's, it's a lease with an option to buy. But what we're essentially doing is guaranteeing the seller their cash out or their equity. So uh, just a, just an easy math scenario, let's just say that, the seller is trying to sell the house for 300 grand. We agree on that price. Their loan balance today is 250. So they have 50,000 in equity. That's what we lock in. So I say to the seller, I say, look, I'll give you the 50,000, but you're going to have to wait, wait for it. Typically it's, you know, five years. So on or before 60 months, I'll give you the 50,000 and the balance of your loan will get paid off at that particular time. Whenever we cash you out in the meantime, we're paying your mortgage payment to the bank direct every month. We cover all maintenance and repairs. And again, you can go do your thing, move on, go, go to the next house. And you know, you got this $50,000 coming from you and you don't have to worry about the property. Yeah. Not worry about it. And these typically are not properties that are hugely distressed, right? I, I'm guessing, I mean, maybe to some degree, but these aren't like huge rehabbed houses that are, I mean, wholesalers are going to come in and offer them 20% you know, 20 cents on the dollar for those type of assets where they're, I mean, these are usually houses that are, you know, you don't have to do a lot of work to, is, is that appropriate to say or? It is very appropriate. And then on the flip side, when we go to sell it to our rent to own market, we, they, they take the house as is. So, I mean, I've, I've, I've bought houses that have kitchens from the 1980s and, you know, buyers have purchased them, you know, on, on my end rent to own. So yes, we, we don't really get into a lot of rehabs, uh, because again, that's a different that's a different uh, uh, bucket of investors. So two more things just to go through quick, real briefly here. Um, the exit strategy with all of these, you know, it doesn't really matter how you acquire it. Like you, you have you have ownership of it if you're mm -hmm. on title two out of the three ways, or you you have control over it with future ownership um, when you exercise that option. Uh, what what's the exit strategy? Are you keeping these as as rentals and being a landlord and renting them out, are you finding a, a buyer that you're qualifying? Are you then assigning it to uh, another, you know, buyer? I mean, are all those options on the table, or what do you normally do? 
They are. And, and it, you know, regardless of what you're doing in, in real estate, if you're long-term, if you want to be a long-term rental, even Airbnb, you know, short-term rentals, if you can acquire properties this way you and own them, you have so much flexibility on your exit. What we like to, what we do, what we teach because uh, of the three paydays, which is cash now, cash uh, on a monthly basis, and then cash on the back end is finding a buyer. And there's a ton of buyers out there, especially now with rates going, going up. Um, who are just on the cusp of getting a loan. They're, they're so close. They just need some time, whether you know they're self-employed, they're business owners, and they just need a little bit of seasoning with the banks, or you know they had a life event like a divorce or a death or, or something that set them back temporarily with their credit. We place them in the home on a rent-to-own basis. We lock in a price for them, and then they, came, they give us a monthly payment. They give us a, a down payment which is equal to anywhere from 10 to 20% for the property. And once they cash out and get their loan, then I go and I pay the seller off. So when you talk about the three paydays, um, correct me if I'm wrong here, because I may get this wrong, mm-hmm. but you, you're getting now today money, you're getting cash flow money over time and, and really kind of forever money in that case, depending on how long you stretch it out. And then, and then you have this exit sum. And so one would be their down payment. Um, that you're acquiring. So you you could, in theory, be into one of these deals for little to no money down mm-hmm. to have control or ownership of it. You you find this end and buyer that you've qualified. They can, they put the down payment that's coming to you, right? That's mm-hmm. your first income. And then the the difference between what you're paying the the seller on, on their mortgage or just whatever you've agreed to on terms and what you're doing on the, the option for the buyer, right? So if you're, you have 1300 going to the seller and you're running out for 1800, there's $500 a month. And then you have this agreed sales price at a future date um, that they need to take take over the property, which there's usually an equity position. Um, is, did I say that right, or anything you want to add there, Brian? You did. You, it was perfectly. And then, and then the only and the part that confuses people is on the back end that this is the beauty of of of, of doing something on terms with the seller. Is again, I mentioned in the lease purchase scenario that I'm locking in the equity of fifty thousand. Okay. The loan balance today is worth two hundred fifty thousand dollars. Well, in five years, the loan balance is going to be, you know, whatever two forty. The difference between the two fifty and the two forty is what I keep. So I get the ten thousand. The seller doesn't get that because I've been paying the mortgage the whole time. So the principal paydown of the loan is also another uh, component to this to this um, you know to the three paydays that it's hard for some people to understand. But you get to keep all that, which is why if you can get principal-only payments to a seller on owner financing, and you're paying someone, you're paying a seller two thousand dollars a month for sixty months, principal paydown. Yeah. Do the math. That's that, a sick, that's a lot of money. Definitely, and I and I love that. And so, but are you usually when you're selling the property to your end buyer? You know, let's say it's a someone that you qualified as a renter. Are are you marking up the price at all, or to some degree? I mean, there's. There's that as well as the principal pay down. Yes, we we do market it. We do market up because we again we're locking in their price now for a date out in the future. Right. Uh, and then again, an appropriate lease amount, lease payment. And while they're getting their credit situation figured out and work together uh, for, to help them get a loan, they would buy it at that price. You know, whether it's two years or three years down the road. And potentially, I mean, they could have significantly more appreciation in it as well. So there, you might be leaving someone on the table, but still the numbers make sense for you and it's a win for the, the end buyer. What about when the market 
doesn't, um, you know, let's say they get an appraisal when they do are able to obtain financing and mm-hmm. you, you've sold someone that at 300,000 and appraises 280. What, what happens then? Who's the skeptic now, Zach? <laughs> yeah. yeah. No. I know I'm dominating Adam. I'll let you take over with the what ifs, but no, that, that, that's a great question. Cause that all gets asked. That all gets asked by the sellers, by the buyers. And the, the answer is, okay, you know, if that were to happen, that specific scenario, um, we, 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 we can, we can pivot. Right. But the, all the buyers go in knowing that, Hey, you might have to bring more money to the table. Right. So if they're, if their price is 300 and appraises for 280, they got to come up with the 20 grand. Okay. Now I haven't had that happen yet. Uh, fortunately when people were buying houses and during COVID and, the, and it went up, a lot of people were walking into 50, $60,000 of equity or more yeah. that I lost out on. So it works both ways. One of the things about terms is you can always go back to the seller and renegotiate one of the, and, and you can, you can still turn a lease purchase. So if I, if a seller's not comfortable with transferring the deed today, cause they just don't, they don't know yet. They're not sure, but they, they, they want to do this. I can go back to a seller in 12 months. Say, but look, I'm paying your, I'm paying your lease payment. I'm paying your mortgage for a year. You know, I can give you X amount of money. I'm t- calling all my sellers. I can give you this. We'll transfer the deed now. Now I own the house. Now I can go back to the buyer and owner finance the buyer and they'll never have to go to the bank. I can essentially become the bank because I have the deed and I can finance them. So if I have a loan that's at 3%, I can finance the buyer at a higher percent interest rate and they'll be fine with it because they don't have to go through you know, the process, the, the, the very rigorous process of trying to qualify for a conventional loan. Yeah. Do you have systems to check in on this too? Like you kind of monitor where you're at with your different, uh, I mean, sometimes it's like I, I fall into the category wanted to just do it and forget about it and just let it run its course. But I mean, you, you do need to probably be checking on where your, your lease options are and what the most strategic thing is to do at that point. Right. Yeah. I mean, we look at it every week. So we're looking at, you know, who's, who's uh, lease date is up for our buyers and, you know, their deposit schedule. Cause not all buyers give us their full down payment day one, we schedule it out. And we're always looking at, you know, an opportunity like, okay, Hey, can we, can we, can we talk to this seller and potentially extend the term or take uh, ownership of the property. So we're always looking at that on a, on a weekly basis. So whenever you are doing this, what happens? Um, you know, something happens, they can't buy it at the end. Like they just lose their job. They can't afford to do it. And your payments coming up to the, you know, to the actual original owner of the home, um, you know, maybe you don't have the 50,000 in your bank account right then to, to pay them. Like what happens in, in that scenario? Yeah, there's a, well, that has happened to me um, uh, where I had one of the, the second house that I purchased. Cause again, we don't want to, we want to give the good, the bad and the ugly here. You're in real estate. You're ultimately going to be, be dealing with, 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 with difficulties and challenges and solutions. It doesn't get any easier. The fact that I have a coach is super because I can go to him. I can go to Chris and say, all right, this is, this is the scenario. What do I do? That's why I love having him as a coach. The second house I, I purchased on a five-year lease option, uh, after about a year, the buyer stopped paying me. I paid the seller's lease payment the whole time. So I've been paying his mortgage payment. I fulfilled my obligation. Um, I, ha- I unfortunately had to go through an eviction process. wasn't pretty. I learned a lot. We had the house back. I still have five years. I still have three more years left with the seller. 
So I'm good. I can pivot. We've been, we've been in, uh, in, in communication. He knows what's going on. I have the house on the market. I'm going to be able to get out of it. Uh, we have it under contract. Actually, we're closing in uh, maybe three weeks, but that's my pivot. Like I lost the buyer. He couldn't do his thing. I'm putting it on the MLS. I could have put somebody else back in there and still fulfill my obligation to the seller because I wrote the deal the right way. I have five years and I gave the buyer two years. So if, if there's any hiccups, I have a lot of outs. I hope that answers your question. It's all it's all just being strategic and, and knowing how to structure both sides of the deal. Again, yeah. to your point, coming back to just having a coach, like this stuff is kind of high level. So you, you need to, you know, go through it with someone that's that's experienced, make sure your paperwork is done correctly. Stuff varies. I mean, laws and regulations state by state. Yep. Um, so you, you got to ha- make sure that all the T's are crossed and I's are dotted in this this scenario. So what's what's the quote go, Adam? Something like uh, control everything and own nothing or yeah, uh, I believe that's right. Yeah, I don't know. I just that comes to mind in, in this scenario. But this is a great way that you actually can own and control a significant amount of real estate without having to put in a, just a significant amount of, of capital. And that's how you grow your portfolio much greater than just saving up, you know, that that other down payment. But it is active, and you need to actively learn it. Right? This is for someone that wants to go down that path. So, hundred percent. Yep. Now, now, are you investing in long term rentals as well with the you know, with the proceeds that you're getting, are you an investor in that sense as well? Or are you just kind of, um, you know, deploying more of your money into, well, I guess $10 at a time into properties or? <laughs> yeah, well, as I, I'm always looking at different opportunities. One of the great things about being part of a mastermind group and being around people who, who are smarter than you and above you and better than you, which again, held me back for years because I was afraid of that. I was afraid of being around people who were smarter than me. I'm not anymore, I encourage it, is that I've learned different ways to make money. So I've invested in other real estate deals. Um, I've loaned money to people. I've used my I've used my 401k, which I took from my corporate job and I uh, put it into a self-directing IRA. I invest that money uh, as I see fit. I can I control it. I don't have to rely on the Wall Street people. And I've learned other ways to, to make money, affiliates. I mean, I've, I've, I've I've been exposed to different income streams and not just, hey, I got to replace my W-2 job with this one other income, which I think is a mistake. You know, I, that might rub people the wrong way, but I'm, I'm always looking at other, at other ways to make money so I don't have to rely on one source. And as I have more capital from these, you know, three payday deals, I can go to a seller and I have a deal in Wisconsin. I'm going to look at it on Friday. I'm going to be able to buy the seller's house subject to his existing loan by giving him all of his equity up front. And it's going to cash flow nicely. And I'm going to own the house and then and the and the numbers work. So instead of zero down, I'm going to give a guy 28 grand, but I'm going to own his house forever. Multiple strategies in multiple streams of income. I mean, that that's so important. Um, and, and it's just getting in that mindset and actually doing it and taking action. Uh, and I, I love that this is a way that you can control more real estate and own more real estate and also be paid to do that actively, right? Um, and now you get into that real estate professional status um, as as well, which, you know, we won't talk about tax benefits there today, but I mean, that's that's just huge, right? But Brian, let's, um, we've been quizzing you on just the, the idea and concept so much. We'd love to hear a little bit more about your story. So can, can we fast forward to kind of where you're at today with what your portfolio looks like and some, some cool things are going on. And then I'd love to hear any just like case studies or, or cool uh, deals that you'd like to discuss. 
Yeah, like I said, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm working really towards building my team now because in the beginning I was super active with the day-to-day stuff, which is, you know, calling sellers and going on appointments and, you know, being every wearing every hat in the business, right? So I basically, and you got to be careful when you when you go into business for yourself, is not to become a W two employee in your business. Okay, you have to give up and you have to you you have to train people and you have to let your employees run the business. And that's really what I'm focusing on right now. It's like, okay, over the last three years, I've learned how to do this very well. And I'm helping other people uh, coach in in the Wicked Smart community. Like I coach people and I'm I'm training my team to be able to do this so I can just kind of, you know, step be in the background and let and, 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 and do what I do best, which is structuring the deals building the business and looking at different ways to acquire deals and not just be, you know, one, one lane. Right. And that's really what, what, what lights me up, what I'm, what I'm passionate about. And then also helping other people. You know, I have this, this story I told you about where I was stuck for 25 years, 17 years in a job that I didn't like and missing my kid grow up. I think a lot of people need to hear that. And there's a lot of folks like that. And I'm trying to get the word out and speaking to people to make them understand that you don't have to repeat what I did and wait that long. There's another way to do it. And it's really revolves around, around your, your mindset, how you think when you start thinking differently, like a lot of, you know, a lot of people can say, I'm going to be going off on a tangent here, but a lot of people want to get into real estate or they want to get into the stock market. They want to do something else because they hate their job so much. But unfortunately, they don't take the time to evaluate their situation right now and where they want to be and set goals. It's just like, okay, well, I'll do this other thing and I'll be happy because I'll be out of my job. Well, ultimately, each step fails. And I did them all. Like I tried to, I tried to, I tried to trade stocks. I tried to write a blog. I tried to do affiliate marketing. I went from one step to the next and it all failed inevitably because I wasn't in the right frame of mind and I didn't take the time to evaluate what my situation was right now at this particular time. And it wasn't until I did that and then hired a coach that I was able to see the hockey stick, you know, uh, type of improvement. And you have to do that first before you can just expect your life to change by, you know, investing in real estate or buying your first rental property. I don't, I don't know if you feel similarly about that. I'd like to get your take, but that was really what, what what made me successful versus I think other people that that are trying to get into a, a business of their own. Man, you just hit me deep there, where I was like in a trance a little because I was like, man, we got to cut that and re- and replay it just as a clip where it's like that is important. We don't, uh, and I get in the habit too much of talking about like concrete details and you know this and this and this, but <laughs> we got to go back to the mindset and the philosophical uh, change and. I remember when I was learning about real estate and stuff, I, I always wanted uh, like, okay, give me the answer. A lot of, a lot of what I went through was I, I ignored the mindset stage of stuff and I like, just give me the answer, right? Like I just tell me what to do and I'll go do it. Um, and now reflecting back, it's more like mindset is exactly what it's all about. And yes, while that's, you know, a little warm and fuzzy sometimes and less concrete details, the mindset is the first aspect. You need to put your mind in the right place and then decide to take action on that and then keep your mind in the right place. Um, consistently, right, and that and that's through surrounding yourself with the right people, and that's through remotivation and and seeing the traction, go, you know, as you as you build your business. But that's hugely important, Brian. As we kind of uh, finish up here, just 
real quick, I'm kind of curious, how many, how many deals would you say on a creative, like what's a realistic expectation? How many deals are you roughly doing on a monthly or annual basis? And can you choose a deal that was just like a, a great, a huge home run? Not, obviously they're not all home runs. It's a portfolio is built on base hits. Um, since you guys were talking baseball earlier, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know what, I, I do want to hear about a home run because that's always exciting. So, but first, how many deals are you doing on a monthly basis? Yeah. So we're, we're averaging about one to two per month. Um, it's been a little bit of a slowdown with the market because again, the, 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 the sellers are still dealing with the hangover. If I can list my house and, you know, I'm going to sell it in 25 seconds. Those days are over with at least temporarily. Uh, but that's our, that's our normal range. And, and, let me, it doesn't seem like a lot, but with the average, my average three paydays, again, the, the down payment, the monthly and the back end, I average about 75,000 across all three. So you don't have to do a lot of these types of trans, transactions to really gain some momentum um, and build wealth. Now, uh, as far as a, a home run deal that I did, I, I, you know, there's, there's a couple of them, but one was I, I got a. I was able to get a a, a house, a hundred and I'm sorry, two hundred and eighty five thousand dollar house. I, I won't give I won't give the the, the details because I know we're running out of time here. But the guy had a fifteen year loan. Okay, so he had a fifteen year loan, and the principal pay down was about seven hundred fifty dollars a month. Plus, I have a a, a a monthly spread of about three hundred dollars. So I have a thousand dollars a month delta on the property. I put zero down and I sold it to a buyer. I think I sold it to the buyer for uh, 310000 It's worth way more than that now. It was a $90,000 deal for 36 months and I didn't put any money down all because the loan was right and the situation was right with the seller. Um, they, had, they, had, they had bought another house and they had to move and they, and they, and they couldn't afford two mortgage payments. I solved that problem. Was that a subject to deal? No, it was a, it was a lease purchase and it, it happened really, really fast because again, they were leaving. They had to go to this other house that they built um, and and they had they had already committed to it. They didn't need the money. So I said, all right, I'll lock in your equity. Here's the term. And because the loan was so attractive, I was okay going three three years because of the $700 a month pay down. And then you found your end buyer that w- were they, um, you're qualified buyer renting the property or did you just- I placed a buyer in the home. She's going through a divorce and needed a place to live. Her credit was was hit pretty hard by the divorce, but she has stable income, good employment, and she's gonna she's set to buy the house. I think she's probably gonna gonna cash out in maybe maybe six months. Nice, awesome. I yeah, love that. yeah, yeah. It's good stuff. Well, Brian, thank you so much for joining us here today. Really appreciate it. For anyone interested in learning more about it, we have a special link set up where you can. Get some free things and also um, if you tell them that you came from you know if you sign up through this link and tell them you came from rich retirement i believe you can get a uh, a free ticket to an event they have going on and that is at smartrealestatecoach.com slash retire that's smartrealestatecoach.com slash retire uh, if you want to look at the long-term buy and hold after you make all that money uh, doing the, the all the what we talked about today you can go to renttoretirement.com. That's renttoretirement.com and see the inventory we have there. If you have any questions about this or anything else, email them over to podcast at renttoretirement.com and we'll get the answer for you one way or another, whether it's Zach and myself or going to the Wicked Smart community and finding out from them. That's podcast at renttoretirement.com. Don't forget to leave us a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening to this on. And we'll talk to you on the next episode.